Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Hi, everybody. Um, it's Jeevana, and I'm back for another episode of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Marlisa Sullivan. Hi, Marlisa. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. I just want to introduce you briefly. So Marlisa Sullivan is a physiotherapist, yoga therapist, and professor. Her research focuses on defining the framework and explanatory model for yoga therapy based on philosophical and neurophysiological perspectives. Wow, that's a mouthful. Anyway, (laughs) I am really excited to talk to you, though, because I love your work, and I I have so many questions for you. So, uh, But maybe you could tell us more or introduce yourself a little more than that. Yeah, so um, I have been teaching at Maryland University of Integrative Health in the Master of Science in Yoga Therapy program since the start of the program, like in 2013 or 2014. Um, I've been a physical therapist for like about 18, 19 years. Um, And through my physical therapy, I've always been interested in working with complex chronic pain. And that's really what led me to yoga because I was really interested in like the psychological pieces and even really the spiritual pieces and how I as a PT could weave that in. Um, Mm -hmm. And currently I also have a new role as the uh, physical therapy coordinator in the Empower Veterans Program at the VA which is um, a multi-site program that works with um, chronic pain. And it's a combination of working with a chaplain, a um, psychotherapist, as well as with my Wow, that sounds amazing. I love when there's um, programs that bring like teams together from different disciplines. That's so exciting. I also want to mention your book, that you're the author of the book, Understanding Yoga Therapy, Applied Philosophy and Science for Health and Wellbeing. With, with Lori um, Highland Robertson. And I just want to say what an amazing book it is. It's such an incredible like overview of yoga therapy and, and clear, it's like a clear approach to me of this complex field, you know, of yoga therapy that I think we're still trying to figure out what it is exactly. Yeah, we are. It is, it is growing and evolving and, and really yeah. like, you know, that book, one of my intentions was, is that I, I, I just have such a deep love for yoga philosophy and how much it's helped me personally, as well as working with other people. And I really wanted to um, mix in like quotes from the actual texts that I've studied and read along with some, a little bit of storytelling from the Mahabharata and then with neuroscience in a way that we can really see how to apply it. Yeah, I think that's what I really like about your work so much, because I can feel that connection to the tradition and philosophy of yoga, which I think sometimes is lost in yoga therapy, to be honest. Sometimes I feel like yoga therapy moves too much towards the medical without really considering that the essence, really, of the practice. I I remember when, I think it was in around 2013 or 14, when they were just creating the standards for yoga therapy. And I was going to the meetings, uh, the sitar meeting. There was a meeting of schools where they were trying to figure out what the guidelines were. I don't know if you're at those meetings. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got so frustrated at the meeting because it felt like 
Well, in particular, I remember that any concepts of death and dying and grief weren't part of the standards. It was like there was this focus on health and healing, which I thought was very Western and kind of lacking in that connection to the tradition, which is much more, in my experience, about understanding the, the limitations of our body and mind, you know, and connecting with something deeper. And so I was just so frustrated by that kind of direction of yoga as just a medical, you know, like a medical treatment, which it's not, you know, it's not a medical treatment. And I yeah. think when we do that, we are at risk of like losing our space in, um, mm. in integrative health or in healthcare. And it ends up becoming just a kind of weird form of PT or psychotherapy. Whereas instead, yeah. like we have such a, like, you know, you're saying such an innovative and maybe not innovative, maybe that's not the right word, but maybe mm. anyway, but we have such a unique and powerful role that we can, um, be in. And part of that is, like you said, in death and dying and working with, um, you know, meaning and purpose and those kind of um, contemplations. And your book's amazing that way. The fact that you really begin with a conversation around yoga philosophy and then look at some of the different models that exist within the yoga tradition and, and kind of compare them. Well, you analyze them and then kind of look at them as in a slightly more Western way and how we can implement them in our lives. Like you talk about, of course, the kosha system and how we can approach yoga therapy using that system, which I think is really become kind of the, the way that I see most yoga therapy being implemented these days. And I want to connect it also to then the, the research you did with the gunas and polyvagal theory, because to me, that's another example of where you took this kind of deeper understanding of yoga philosophy and applied it to, or I don't know, applied it. It's like you connected it to these more modern concepts of in, in Western medicine. Yeah. And I think it's really important. Like one of the things I worked really hard in that article to get across is that, you know, we're not saying the gunas are the neural platforms because the gunas are much bigger, much broader, much more powerful. And, but we can look at how they're reflected in it. And what that, um, how that helps us create a shared language with um, the public or medical professionals. I remember even in, in writing the book, when I was first coming up with the outline, there was some people that wanted me to do the neurophysiology first and the philosophy second. And I was like, no, no, it's like, get grounded in the philosophy, really understand where yoga therapy is coming from and our viewpoint. Yeah. And then we can use some of these neurophysiological frameworks to create shared language. Yeah, I love that. And I just want to say we'll link to your book and to this article. The article is called um, Yoga Therapy and Polyvagal Theory, the Convergence of Traditional Wisdom and Contemporary Neuroscience for Self-Regulation and Resilience. And basically, it's it's an article that I refer to all the time. Is it an article? Is it a, is it a research it's a research, it's a research article, yeah. A it's research not a, article. It's a theoretical research article. It's a theoretical research article, yeah. But it's something I refer to a lot because, I, I, I mean, I think – and maybe you could explain a little more. I think you, you just did it very briefly, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what it's about, about the connection you make between kind of yo the yoga understanding of different, um, the qualities of nature, the gunas, and then the ideas that we have around um, polyvagal theory and the idea of there being three aspects to the um, vagus nerve. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, um 
with with the gunas this so so one of the reasons i think that this framework is so interesting and why i i I think it's really vital to what we're doing in yoga therapy because it helps us not come from that biomedical standpoint is when we look at the gunas, we're looking at these underlying qualities that give rise to our physiological states, what behaviors we're manifesting, what kind of emotions are present, thoughts, beliefs, but it's the underlying gunas that are really helping to give rise to that. They're creating like the, you know, the water in which that arises from. And so, um, so we can look at the gunas and say, um, and do an assessment and evaluation and say, is there, um, is Rajas out of balance? Is Thomas out of balance? Is Sattva out of balance? And how do we help the person to create that balance within the gunas um, to experience greater accessibility of different states? So for example, you know, when I, when I've worked with people that have had a lot of anxiety or um, uh, stress or depression, the idea of trying to experience compassion or connectedness, is, it's just not there. So if I if we work instead of altering this underlying state, instead of trying to do something with physiology and behavior and emotions separately, so instead we can come underneath that and work with the gunas. And so in the same way, like in this reflective way, polyvagal theory speaks about how underlying our behaviors, emotions, and physiology is this autonomic nervous system activation. And it talks about three broad ones of this optimal parasympathetic rest and digest social engagement system, where we have increased connectivity to others, as well as um, relaxed physiological states. Then we have the dorsal vagal, which is the um, it's, it's like too much parasympathetic. So it's this really extreme slowing of all of our physiological processes. And with that comes these experiences of shutdown or dissociation. And then the sympathetic nervous system as this other part of the autonomic nervous system that mobilizes. So we can look at these three, in polyvagal theory, we can look at these three underlying autonomic nervous system states to, to look at what behaviors, emotions, and physiologies are present. And then by working with changing autonomic nervous system activation, we can create more accessibility for things like calmness, compassion, connectedness. The other thing I think really great about polyvagal theory is it talks about the shared activation. So it's not just like you're in sympathetic or parasympathetic, that that state of safe mobilization of play or creativity, where mm -hmm. we are mobilized for action, but there's still that safety so that we can have like, you know, that idea of good, there's good Rajas that like Rajas serves to mobilize us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can see how there's good qualities within each of these activations. Oh my gosh, I love that part because I do think we tend to have a lot of um, I don't know black and white thinking around <laughs> around these things, and I think the nervous system is way more complex than that. And I I, I always find myself um, wanting to simplify, but it's not. But I like the idea that there's like these three aspects, and all have positive or negative qualities within them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they, and so and we can you know both of these theories of polyvagal theory and yoga really show us this idea of not getting overwhelmed by what's showing up superficially from this like physiological, emotional, behavioral standpoint, but that we can kind of dive under to say like, what is contributing to that and how do we affect that underlying thing? And do we use the, or do you use the gunas when you're doing yoga therapy intake? I mean, is, are the gunas something that is applied in that way? I always think, cause I think of more of like um, the doshas 
or you know through an Ayurvedic lens, but I don't, I haven't really seen that being the gunas used in that way. I guess. Yeah, so I think um, using the gunas is really helpful to really create that yoga therapy perspective versus a biomedical perspective. So that on each, you know, on 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 the anamaya, pranamaya, manamaya kosha, like what gunas are predominant, which ones might be out of balance, and looking okay. at that from all three perspectives. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well that's amazing. I I love that. I love that research. And I so you were doing that before you wrote the book, is that right? So that. Is that article predates the book? Yeah, the article predates the book. Yeah. And I guess I just want to go back a little bit to your story because you you just mentioned briefly what led you to yoga. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit more. Like how, how did you get involved? Yeah. Yeah, well, I was, um, you know, before I went to PT school, I was really interested in um, medical anthropology. And even before that, I was really into physics. I went to a physics camp when I was in 12th grade and I was just really into wanting to search for like meaning through physics. And that didn't, that didn't turn out that well, but, um, I, <laughs> didn't turn out that <laughs> I got where I could with that. And, um, and so then, um, working in medical anthropology, it was like this idea of how does, you know, meta systems of medicine and health and healing, intersect or interact with our belief systems and our spirituality. Mm. Um, And so I ended up going into physical therapy, but then after I graduated school, um, I was really looking for um, how do I bring these pieces of what I'm interested in. in. Like I see the importance of when you have a chronic condition, the importance of meaning and purpose. I see the importance of like looking and understanding emotions. So I did a couple different yoga trainings and I kind of like was looking for something more spiritually based than physically based. Um, so I was, I was very attracted to those styles that really went into the philosophy. Um, mm. And then I studied um, the texts of the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita most um, and the Upanishads. And um, I probably spent less time with the Yoga Sutras, which I'm beginning to spend more time with now. Okay, awesome. That's exciting. Hey everyone, let's take a quick break from the podcast to thank one of our supporting organizations, Revolutionary Healing. Revolutionary Healing is a holistic wellness organization that centers black women and femmes. They offer yoga, meditation, health coaching, and wellness retreats. At Revolutionary Healing, black women are seen, uplifted, and affirmed on their path towards holistic wellness. Head to their website for free and sliding scale resources that can support your healing journey. In spring 2022, Revolutionary Healing will be offering a four-day wellness retreat in Mexico for Black, queer women and femmes. Come celebrate Black, queer joy with Revolutionary Healing. Find out more information at www.revolutionaryhealing.org or at revolutionary.healing on Instagram. And I know our our theme um, for the month of December at at Accessible Yoga is um, pain, care, and yoga. And that was what I wanted to spend some time talking to you about, but I, I think it was really useful to explore your work because it's incredible. I mean, I feel like your work is so important. Um, like I said, in, in terms of creating this bridge between what feels like two very separate worlds to me. Um, and I guess I'm curious about your approach to pain care in that way. And how do you see, do you see that bridge 
or are you building that bridge there as well? Yeah, I think, you know, um, so in, in pain care, there's, there's this like therapeutic pain neuroscience that physical therapists are learning more and more about. And, you know, what's so interesting about it is that it's, um, kind of foundational to the, to the idea of pain science is that in pain, the nervous system gets, um, sensitized, meaning that the threshold for activation is lowered. So more input is coming in. So in order to work with the nervous system in pain, we want to help to desensitize it. And so, you know, how do we just desensitize it? And yoga provides this really amazing way to work with that by stepping back, by creating this kind of, um, you know, this ability to sit back, to notice what my physiology is doing, what my emotions are doing, um, and to also uh, approach it and change the relationship to it. So I think yoga provides this, this um, you know, really key foundational way to help someone to connect to and change their relationship to sensation differently. And the, the other thing, like one of, one of the things I love about the work with the VA is so foundational to their integrative health model is meaning and purpose. That when you connect to your values, what's important to you, you find the alignment with that when you're doing what's meaningful and purposeful to you, that mm. you're then able to create that space to change the relationship with pain. So in, in the program that I'm getting to work in with now, uh, we get to really focus on developing what's your values, what's important to you, and then how do you want to develop the relationship with that to work with your pain differently? And what is the role, like, is there a role of yoga philosophy in that? I mean, is that what you're saying in terms of your, your purpose? Is, is that the connection you're making? Yeah, so I guess um, uh, to, I guess to a couple different connections I'm making, and and uh, I've gotten really because I've been doing this work at the VA for a while. It's like I'm really working with this like language of how to make yoga philosophy or help yoga philosophy be something that is amenable and understood and and um, yeah. you know to that population. But um, so I, I would say first. In, foremost is the idea of dharma and this idea of helping someone to come into harmony with what's most important to them and allowing that to really become this felt experience so they can become that felt experience of what's important what's valuable what's meaningful and they can let that input become stronger and stronger and stronger so that they can still you know acknowledge the pain notice the pain but this movement towards meaning and purpose and value becomes a stronger drive for the person to connect to. So I think those ideas of, of Dharma are really important. I think the ideas of um, Purusha and Prakriti, like helping the person to um, become the experiencer and what that means to be the experiencer. Um, the idea of noticing the gunas and how you, know, you can watch Rajas, Thomas and Sattva arise and fall and how we begin to um, change the way that our body and mind is reacting to these different um, gunas that arise or neural platforms that arise. Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Do you think there's, I don't know to say, like a danger there though of kind of, what's the word, like westernizing too much, like of taking philosophical concepts out of context. I mean, I just wonder what your thoughts are about that. You know, the kind of, um, 
appropriation side of it. Yeah, know? it's something I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about and talking with my friends and colleagues about, and I'm really interested in that conversation. And, you know, my hope is that if I am connecting deeply to the philosophy and the teachings and honoring them mm-hmm. and um, really understanding where they come from and having that like deep relationship with them. And then I'm sharing that with someone in a way that they can understand and in a way that connects with them. Um, then that is hopefully not appropriation. I, th- right. you know, of course I think different people can have different viewpoints on that. And, 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 um, but I, I, I'm hopeful that by really myself honoring where the teachings come from, myself honoring like the complexity and the nuance and the depth that that will come across in the way that I'm sharing it with people. And that it's actually a bit, you know, I just, I feel so strongly about the teachings that I, it means a lot to be able to share them and just be able to share them in a way that is helpful for people in pain. And mm-hmm. so I, um, I think by constantly looking at how I'm teaching it, what I'm saying, asking myself if I'm simplifying it too much, if I'm um, doing anything that is harmful to the um, um, tradition or, or teachings themselves. And I, I just keep asking myself that as I teach it. Mm-hmm. And revisiting it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think the application of yoga by itself is appropriation. But I, I think it's the times like what I see happening sometimes in yoga therapy is where you know, we kind of rename something and make it seem like it's a new idea when it's simply just a reframing of an older idea. Um, so I think, like you said, I think it's when we acknowledge the source and continue to say, you know, this is a yoga teaching, this connects back to this text or this idea found in this text. I feel like that's the key to me is just constantly um, quote our sources and go back to them, which I see you doing in your book, for example, so, so much. And, you know, it's what I appreciate about your work, but I do feel sometimes I hear like, um, you know, some yoga therapist kind of reframing so much that they make it seem like pretend it's new. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like for me in, in my book, yeah. that was really important to me to be able to include the sources, you know, so to be able to like yeah. get the different rights to different things to be able to say, like, here's actually where it's from. This is, you know, this is what the actual, like, here's my interpretation of it. Here's what the actual text says in this translation of it. Um, to me, it's really important to always be able to go back to. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that's why I've always been a little hesitant around, like, I don't want to brand something, you know, because it's, um, (laughs) not that I'm sure there's definitely a place for that and all that, but like, I, I, um, it isn't new. Nothing that I'm saying is new. And like even this idea of this linking it to polyvagal theory, it's not like it's there's nothing new about it. It's maybe the way that I'm linking it in particular, but like it's it's yoga philosophy. It's like it, it's it's um, you know, I'm tr- it's a way to be able to translate and talk about the teachings in a way that people can understand so that we can share yoga with more people. And that mm-hmm. we can bring yoga into these environments like hospitals or, you know, cancer care, pain care um, in ways that um, 
like my hope with it is that like we can both speak to people the way that they will understand it and maybe even talk about the autonomic nervous system or regulation and resilience or whatever. But we can also like in our hearts be situated in like I know what I'm really doing is working with the gunas and working with the ideas of Prusha and Prakriti and Dharma. Um, and I, to me, I see it, I think, and this, this comparison has sometimes been helpful to people, like as a physical therapist, when I write a note about what I did, there's parts of the language that all medical professionals will understand. So I write some of my notes in a way that everyone can understand. But there are certain aspects of it that like as a PT, I'm interpreting differently because I'm enmeshed in that perspective and way of thinking. So I think as yoga therapists, it's really important to do the same thing. Like we have to share in order to grow and evolve, but we also want to uh, not lose what it is that is what makes us so powerful and so unique. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, thank you. I, um, yeah, well, I, I could talk about that from my perspective too, with accessible yoga, because I am often asked the same question. I mean, accessible yoga is about making the teachings accessible, but it's not really anything new. It's just trying to make them available more, not, not simplify or even dumb them down. It's just about, um, yeah, trying to make them applicable. Huh? Yeah, I think that idea of dumbing down is super interesting. You know, like, what do yeah. we even mean by that? Mm-hmm. Like, if I take a highly scientific concept like sensitization of the nervous system and I'm trying to explain it to someone who has no knowledge of the nervous system, is that dumbing it down or is it creating an experience for them to understand and have insight and change and transformation? Mm-hmm. So, and I, but I think it's a fine line, you know, what you're yeah. saying. So when I'm making yoga philosophy more accessible, how do I do it so that I am helping the person to have an experience for insight and transformation, but I'm not, um, demeaning the teachings themselves, you know? Yeah. I think it has to do with, um, I think dumbing down has to do with context actually for me. So it's like, to me, dumbing down yoga is actually focusing on asana as a competitive sport actually, and making it just about um, the physicality of the practice rather than the context, the larger context of yoga as a spiritual practice and tradition. So it's like, you know, to me, accessible yoga is actually, I believe, more respectful to the tradition because we're trying to share the, the fullness of the practice and put the physical practices, for example, in the context of that larger spiritual tradition rather than just pull them apart. And the way that, you know, kind of um, modern yoga has done um that is really appropriation when you just take something out um, and make it overly simplified without sharing the larger context. But I mean, you, you, you do that beautifully. And I really love that about your work. Um, and also, I thought of one other thing. Oh, you know, um, this conversation of the relationship between the gunas and, and Western medicine or science reminds me of the um, quantum theory and the, just some little research I've done or read about how the people who came up with quantum theory based it on this idea of the gunas, that they were inspired by that idea. Really? I didn't know that. This one guy, um, I'll, I'll find his name, Bohr, maybe okay. Niels Bohr. Is it, one okay. of them was, a, a, you know, a student of yoga philosophy and had been inspired by some of these concepts. And I feel like you could see, I, I can see a relationship there between the gunas and quantum theory around like protons, electrons, neutrons, you know, this idea of like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the gunas are three constituents of nature, that all of nature is made up of these basic elements, which is kind of what quantum theory is telling us. So I just feel like 
it's another example of where I feel like there wasn't there was an exchange going on back then, right? That they were there was an ancient tradition in India that these more modern Western researchers were were reaching to and never really acknowledging, you know. So that kind of makes me sad because I feel like that shows a kind of continuation of the wisdom of the yoga tradition and how it's influenced our thinking today. There's so many ways that we that our thinking is influenced by that tradition. You know, so many Western philosophers and writers have reached back to that tradition and connected, um, but we don't often know that. Yeah, know? that would be interesting to ha have that wider acknowledgement of how so yeah. much of the context of our thinking is already drawn from yoga and wisdom traditions and, and how do we acknowledge that? Yeah, there's some research around uh, Emerson um, Emerson and Thoreau, um, there's the contemporary writer, I'll have to find his name, he's awesome, who writes about that connection. Um, well, I'm going to look that up while I ask you another question. I actually wanted to go back to the pain care thing again, just because I feel like I didn't, I, I kind of distracted you. But I, you started to explain earlier around pain care, the way you kind of share um, these larger philosophical concepts, helping people find purpose and meaning. And then, I don't know, can you explain what else yoga offers? You were talking about giving people perspective, connecting yeah. maybe to being the witness. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I guess a, a couple of things. So like, you know, in this program at the VA is we have acceptance commitment therapy with a psychotherapist, and then we have um, mindful movement with me. And in acceptance and commitment therapy is also very much about values mm. and meaning. And I think- Can you say um, that again? Acceptance and commitment therapy? I don't know, what what is that? Yeah, it's a is type like of psychotherapy. Okay, that, that's awesome, um, I love that. Yeah, and it, it's, it has a lot of ties to yoga. I, I don't know how much he has done yoga, um, and it's very cognitive. Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think what, when I look at like how I'm integrating yoga and how I'm utilizing yoga within pain care as a foundational part that like, I start with this perspective of uh, Dharma and like this idea of how, how does the person experience a really felt sense of what's important to them and their values and their meaning. So creating that embodied approach to meaning and purpose. And I feel like that's like, the foundation from which other things arise from. Um, and then also, I think another um, another perspective in pain care is that I tend to spend a lot of time in the beginning really trying to help cultivate sattva or, or that um, parasympathetic social engagement neural platform. So thinking about really getting that platform set up as a foundation so that then from that place of safety, that place of um, social engagement system or mm. sattva the person is able to step back in that observer self or in that experiencer space to notice the kinds of qualities of sensations of the gunas that arise and begin to meet with them differently. Um, so I, I think all, I mean, all of that to me is, is can, can I ask though, it, practically speaking, is that done through what technique? Is that like guided meditation? Like what, what are the basic tools that you're using? 
Yeah. So um, what we're doing is we're doing group classes. So we generally have like a discussion for like the first five to 10 minutes. And then we do um, a little bit of a like centering meditation, but then we explore different movements and notice the activations that arise with certain movements and what's needed to happen to meet those differently. So the, the idea of using like by the end of the 10 weeks, it's like, this menu of choices you have of meeting sensation differently by really mm. connecting to your meaning and purpose and feeling that in your body by um, connecting with compassion or kindness um, or other values that are important to you um, by even, you know, exploring and changing the way that you're moving mm. so that the person is able to really um, do movement in a different way. So then, so then we do movement, um, it's mostly in a, it's all, it's mostly in a chair, um, a couple right. standing. Okay. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you. I just want to say, I found the name I was thinking of, uh, my friend, Jeremy Engels. Um, I don't know if you know his work. He's the author of the ethics of oneness, Emerson Whitman and the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, he's a professor at Penn state. And, you know, I just feel like he makes this connection. He talks about that. I'm just going back to our earlier conversation about that connection between different philosophies. I think is really interesting uh, between West and East. Um, yeah, I would love to read that. I'll have to. Get that. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, anyway, so okay, so going back. Sorry, I just want to mention him. But um, so it's basically a chair-based practice, and you're having people do a reflection on what their experience is during the practice, their experience of their pain. Are they writing during the class or at the end of class? Do they make notes? How do they do? They're that? not writing, but we just oh. talk about it, and you so. So, I mean, I guess they can write, but like each week is a different topic. Like, oh, oh you know, a to uh, one week is about really feeling the idea of values and meaning and purpose in your body. Another week of um, really focusing on compassion or gratitude. Um, and then other weeks are about more that idea of like being the experiencer or the observer and um, noticing sensation as, you know, color, texture, um, you know, today we did a lot of imagining movement and visualizing movement that could be pain free. And how is it that your mm. body is in that space? Um, so it is, it's, a, it's just like a very kind of meditative approach to movement, which is yoga mm. and um, with some discussion. And is there a research component to this? Are you following? Are you tracking their progress? Or um, They are. Yeah. So the, they, the, they, they have different. Um, they have different like questionnaires and surveys and they're collecting different outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any advice for a yoga teacher um, when they're working with people in pain or chronic pain or acute pain? Just any thoughts about what, what would you say is like the most important element to bring into a yoga class? Yeah, I think, um, and to me, I think this is an essential yoga philosophy too, is, is, you know, the idea of empowerment of the person or like the person's agency. So yeah. in pain, a lot of times the person's like wisdom has gotten really like, they can't trust it anymore. And to everyone tells them they're wrong or that they, you know, whatever it is. And so I think really helping the person to redevelop that trust of their own wisdom and um, you know, through doing a lot of choice. Um, I, I, you know, I, I do a little bit more direct language. I know some people do very permissive language and I think that can be confusing. Um, so, you know, using language to help people explore sensation in the body, but also providing a lot of choice. Like if, mm -hmm. if this is better for you, then follow that, like trust that, do that and helping them to really like 
explore what is what is true for them. Okay, can you say more about that though? You said you like to give more direct language because you think it can be confusing. What do you mean? Like the the in this idea of invitational language we hear about in trauma informed teaching, especially. I think that's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, I just think you know um, I can't. I'm um, I, I don't. I don't do that. So I'll just say what I do because I know yeah. it's different. Um, so, you know, like um, asking people to directly explore, like, you know, um, uh, you know, moving, moving your arm up. And as you move your arm up, notice the muscles that are activating. And can you draw the shoulder blade together? Can you draw the mm -hmm. shoulder blade down? How does that change it? So I'll tend to give like direct cues followed by what do you feel when you experience mm -hmm. that? Do you want to move a little bit more forward, a little bit more back? But I tend to start with like, tr do this with your body. Uh -huh. And once you're doing it, explore this or this, and then begin to see what your body needs. So like you're creating a little bit of a foundation of, of mm -hmm. safety or direction for the person to move into and then using permissive language from there. Yeah, I actually do that too. So that's why I was excited to hear you say that because I actually think that I, what I found after teaching for many, many years is that people often don't have a connection um, with their body and understand yeah. the choices you're giving them. And so if you give too many choices right away, uh, it can be confusing. And so I find it's usually best to give some simple direction so somebody can start the movement and then once they've started the movement to then have them consider what's going on right now and should I go further or not? Um, yeah. And I think that's like exactly the point is that like yeah. a lot of people in pain don't have a connection to their body and, and they're, you know, they've actually tried to get out of their body for so long because their body is so painful. And so we need to first like help them reconnect to the body and to, you know, to have that interceptive proprioceptive awareness, and then they can begin to explore. And then as they learn more and more about their body, they can get more and more indirect yeah. with the key. Well, it just, it's interesting because I think pain, um, I, I mean, I never work specifically with people who, who have chronic pain, but I've had many, many students who have pain, but I feel like there's different kinds of pain. And so yeah. I feel like I, I always work with people who have either disabilities or some kind of um, marginalized identity and are struggling with something. And I feel like that there's always the pain there. And I think whatever pain it is, it tends to disconnect us from the body, even if it's not a physical pain, if it's an emotional pain of some kind or some like mental health challenge. Well, um, and one of the things I've found interesting in teaching yoga teachers and yoga therapists about working with pain is that often um, people think that, oh, to, to like ask someone to explore the color, the texture, the vibration, the images of their pain is way advanced. And it's like, well, no, pain, people in pain are so used to like going inside and exploring and feeling. I mm. found people in pain just incredibly open to that. And mm. they already know what it is to go inside and explore the different qualities of sensations of tension, relaxation, all those things. So I, I find, you know, really handing over that, uh, the, especially when you're doing it one-on-one, -on -one, that you can really hand over that control of the class to the person mm -hmm. and explore like what movements work for them what um what are the ways that they relate to sensation um and then the person ends up feeling really heard really listened to really empowered to work with their pain and also i mean i mean this is exactly my approach as well and what i try and train teachers to do also in accessible yoga training because i i find that um you know 
I think many people feel like they don't know their body and they're often waiting for somebody to tell them what to do, often like a medical professional. I worry in yoga therapy that we, again, go into that role rather than do what you said, which is to focus on that giving people agency. Because I feel like agency is no small thing. I actually think agency or power over your body or empowerment of the individual is really the philosophy of yoga. I mean, that is the heart of the teachings, which is that we have what we need inside. I mean, that's what the teachings are telling us. So it seems to me like our methodology, the approach we take as teachers should match up with the philosophy as, as well. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like when I'm working with people in pain that like, I'm kind of like the external booty, like I'm reflecting that yeah. ability to have non-judgmental observation and discrimination so mm -hmm. that whatever the person says, I can help to like I can help them to validate their own experience and to explore what else is needed. So I feel like in that therapeutic presence or relationship, yes. that's really a, a hugely important role that we have. Right. I mean, and I love that validate their experience. And actually, to me, that might be the most important thing we could do is that if we're validating someone's experience, we're actually telling them, you know what, you are actually the 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 master of your own interior experience. It's not something that I know about more or, or a doctor will know about more. Like you are the one who really knows. And that connection with yourself, I think is how we get deeper in our practice, like begin to connect on to those more subtle layers and have that, not just interoception, which I think is advanced yoga anyway, like it's about going more subtle. That's yeah. how I feel like we get more advanced in yoga instead of getting more externally advanced it's like getting more internally advanced if that yeah. makes sense I don't know. no i totally agree with that yeah, yeah i mean I think that, you know the more able that we're able to the more we're able to help people come inside and create that connection um and they're able to you know really um explore who they are and how they interact is such a powerful practice and i think you know a lot of times in working with pain i think it's like the very heart of what yoga is Hmm. So I feel, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, hopefully I was clear enough in how I'm using the philosophy, but like, I just feel like it's so infused yeah. in every part of it. Yeah, it's very clear. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to share with us? I mean, there was a lot. That was a lot. <laughs> no, I really appreciate the opportunity too, because it's something that um, I enjoy getting the chance to speak about is like, what is this fine line between simplifying and appropriation and, mm -hmm. you know, helping people to access the teachings and experience the teachings because we all know how powerful they are and also being really <clears throat> respectful and really honoring of the everything that came before and where they come from. So I just I always appreciate the opportunity to, like, connect back to those questions. Great. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing with me. I really appreciate it. And with all of our listeners and, you know, I really recommend people read your book. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes also to the article that I mentioned. Um, and maybe you, you have a website also that we could link yeah, to. Yeah, my website is just marlisasullivan.com. I need to update it. But <laughs> Anything else? Any other way people can find you? We have to go to those programs to get you or? Yeah, I mean, my website, I, I do. I am on Facebook. Okay. I'm technically on Instagram, but I don't understand. It, so. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you, Marlisa. Really, thanks for your time. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. 
Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.